Hey everybody, this is Ronnie Marmo, otherwise known as Lenny Bruce to some, and you are listening to the Atomic Podcast. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Ephraim Guzman. Ladies and gentlemen, finally on the podcast, writer, producer, director, actor, the man does it all, Ronnie Marmo. Ro- Ronnie, finally, man. Finally, dude. How you been? <laughs> We did it, Efren. It yeah. took forever, but we did it. Thank you for being patient. I know, especially after Dracula, man, where we met, man. It's been a long time, man. There's, I know you have a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, you have a lot of stuff going on. Um, tell, tell, tell the folks, man, because I'm, I don't want to keep giving you the same questions you've been asked thousands of times. Update the people what's going on in your life. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, well, I'm Lenny Bruce. You know, we ran for 120 performances in Los Angeles. Then we just ran for 100 off-Broadway in New York, and now we're heading out to Chicago. I officially open, I preview on October 23rd, and official opening night is October 25th at the Royal George Theater in Chicago. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank you, pal. It's so exciting. I, I'm so excited to get, you know, to be involved in the Chicago theater community. It's a dream come true, really. Yeah, man, you know, from Los Angeles, New York, finally Chicago, man, this one-man show you've been doing, you know, it's it, it is it grueling, man, because that's something you do all the time, and I know every performance is a different performance, but, man, is it grueling on you, like, mentally and physically? Oh, yeah, this show kicks kicks my, my ass for sure. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to be doing five performances a week in, in Chicago. And it's really intense. I mean, it's funny, it's heartbreaking, it's tragic, it's everything. But it's like the best way I can explain it is it's like 90 minutes of therapy. And I just take a beating every night in front of the audience. And then, uh, and that's it. We go on a ride. So it has been, in a lot of ways, though, it's cathartic. You know, it's not negative. It's also a very, it's a relief to me. I'm, I feel like, uh, although I walk around a little more vulnerable when I'm doing the show, I also walk around a little calmer as well because I feel like I'm getting it all out on stage, you know? Yeah. You know, um, 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 off topic, off topic, the people with the best hairs in the business is Frank Grillo and yourself, man. How do you keep your hair so moist and uh, so puffy, man? You know, it's funny. It's funny <laughs> you said that because one of my best friends in the whole wide world is Roy Grillo, Frank's uh, cousin, first cousin. Um, he's like one of my best friends. I don't know. My head just is what it is. I'm very blessed. I'm a lucky guy. I know this could look a whole other way, so I count my blessings. I'm happy to have this hair, you know? I know. You don't have the runway. You don't have any bald spots, man. You still got it, man. You still got it. (laughs) Don't jinx me, Ephraim. Don't jinx me. Um, Falling out, I'm gonna call you. <laughs> oh, don't hurt me, man. Don't hurt me, man. Because you, 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 you know, you're a big dude, man. I don't think I can. <laughs> um, going back to the theater, man. Like I know you, you, you co-founded on Theater 68, man. Um, how did that come about? You know, about 19 years ago, I was on this movie called Deuces Wild. It was a great film. Um, had a great time. It was life changing. It was, it was my biggest credit at that point. I met a lot of wonderful people. And there was a group of us on there who, you know, wishing we 
couldn't, you know, we, we really couldn't afford class and we didn't know we didn't have the right class. And so we thought, well, let's get together on Monday nights and start like, you know, doing scene work and doing all the silly actor things to keep us sharp and let's hold each other accountable kind of thing. And so that went on for, uh, we tried it on a Monday night and here we are 19 years later in LA and we just celebrated eight years in New York and we're still but we went on to produce a lot of shows and you saw Dracula but we went on to produce a lot of shows and so now we uh, we've probably done 110 performances uh, productions and Chicago is the first theater production we've done in Chicago so I'm very excited wow that's amazing man you know your career is illustrious and I could talk about movies you've done and whatnot and General Hospital but um, can you take me back a little bit to the beginning and how did you how this passion became your career in life in acting yeah 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 what happened was is that you know as a teenager i was running in the streets in new jersey like a crazy person <laughs> and, uh, and I, I didn't really know what i wanted to do with my life i mean i had some ideas but i i knew there was like an artist or something in me but i couldn't put like my finger on it you know i couldn't really i couldn't describe what it was that i i wanted to do and so when my mother died I was 24, and her and I used to go see theater, and she'd say, oh, look at you, you're beaming, you love it, blah, 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 you should try it. I'd say, no, Ma, I can't do it, whatever. But, you know, I was the kid who would, like, go home from the street corner with all the guys and, like, write poetry or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, finally, when she died, I was like, well, what am I waiting for, you know? And I, I auditioned for a play, and I got the part, and... Uh, that was the summer of, uh, no, that was the fall of 95. And I haven't let up since. You know, I've been very blessed. I started making a living, a real living, in 90, uh, 98, 97, maybe. Mm -hmm. And and that was it. I blessed, you know, and I, I, try to, I try to do more than just act. You know, I write and I direct a lot and produce, so... So I try to keep myself busy in show business. So I fell in love with the art, you know? Yeah. Um, is there a preference that you have? Because I know you, you know, you write and you're also acting now. But do you have a preference that you'd rather do more than the other? You know, it's hard to say because each project brings, like, a passion with it. Like, if you would have spoken to me two years ago, mm -hmm. I would have told you that I feel like I'm going to be directing more in my future. Uh, but as I wrote the Lenny Bruce show, it kind of afforded me, I, I, I fell back in love with acting because mm -hmm. of Lenny Bruce and because of the show. So I have different phases in my life, and when a project comes to me, how I'm asked to participate generally is is how where my passion lives. So it's really hard to say. I, I don't really know. I, I love them all equally different, and I know that sounds like a cop-out answer, but that's really the truth. You know? Yeah. And um tell me your fascination with Lenny Bruce. Why Lenny Bruce? Like what what is it that, what was what was the story that drew you to it? Well, what happened was is I was doing another some guy Charlie Brill, a very funny comedian, friend of mine, wonderful, uh -huh. wonderful person, asked me if I knew who Lenny Bruce was and I said I knew of him, but I don't know that much. And then he said, "Well, I have this one man show that was written for me." But I don't, I'm too old. Why don't you do it? I'll direct it. You remind me of Lenny. Oh, and wow. so after we went back and forth for a while, I did the show. And I fell in love with Lenny. And as I, as I progressed in that show, 
I did two six-month runs, and I realized that we had so much in common, and, and I just really loved what he stood for and what he believed in and who he was as a man, and and he shaped me, you know, he started to shape me personally ways, and so I went off and I wrote my own version because I wanted to tell a much, like, hard, more hardcore version of Lenny's life this play was offering, uh-huh. and, I, and, uh, and just over the years, I just fell in love with him, and now I feel like he and I are really walking hand in hand in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. You know, that that's all, yeah, it, it's awesome because, you know, you take a lot in and, you know, you, you, you molded this role as yourself, like, you know, you put a lot of time and effort into this and it shows from what I've heard, you know, I definitely want to go out to Chicago to see this. Um, is it? Yeah, you're close, you, you could come out, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Wisconsin, so I'm not that, I'm not that far off, so, you know, much closer than New York. <laughs> you better come out, man, you gotta go do a weekend, like, trip, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely want to check you out, man. I heard a lot of rave reviews about this, and it's awesome, man. Can't wait to see you. Thank you. Um, Ronnie, an- another thing, um, um, t- talking about, because uh, I know you talked about soap operas and General Hospital. You was on there for two years. Um, did you feel being on a soap opera and memorizing a lot of dialogue pretty much helped you out with this as well? Well, yeah, first of all, I ended up on the show for three full years. Oh, three, and, sorry. Uh, and 150, yeah, I did three years and 150 episodes, and I really thought I was going to do like five, so they were very kind to me. They kept writing and writing and writing, and I loved, <laughs> you know. And so the answer is yes. I mean, that, that show made me a much better actor because I was forced to, like, learn a bunch of dialogue. You only get one take. Sometimes you're doing 20, 30 pages in a day. And, and literally, it's kind of like doing theater. There's five cameras, and you get one take, and you better remember your lines, and that's it. And so I think it, it really made – I was never comfortable in that job. It was a hard job. It was a very humbling job. Yeah. But, uh, but I think ultimately it, it definitely made me a better actor, not only for the Lenny Bruce show, but for – you know, independent films, whenever I get cast, I only need one or two takes because that's what I'm used to. <laughs> so I save them time and money, you know. Yeah. Um, being being a, uh, an Italian-American, um, do you feel um, in, in this in this culture now, in, in the career Hollywood genre, that, um, you know, how there's di- different ethnicities that feels that there's not, like, the right roles for them? Do you feel as an Italian-American there are right roles for... Um, Italians in general? Well, sure, but the thing is with me is I've always, I'm very proud to be Italian-American, but I've also really worked hard to um, uh, to play other things and tell other stories. Mm-hmm. I do love telling Italian-American stories because these people exist, and you know, but I also have always fought hard to try to tell other stories. For instance, like you look at like John Totoro. Yeah. He's Italian-American, but he does a lot of different things, and then so I I love his career, and that's kind of how I try to make my stuff happen. I, um, you know, I did a, a beautiful episode last year of Criminal Minds last season, and I played a guy named Mitchell McCord. He was an Irish guy. You know, Lenny Bruce is Jewish. So, like, I, I, I do other things, but I'm also really open to, um, you know, to playing Italian-Americans. But when I do, I try not to perpetuate the stereotype. I try to make the two and three and four dimensional. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, um, being being a former Brooklyn resident, what's your favorite? What's your favorite haunts in Brooklyn? You know, it's funny. I moved out of Brooklyn when I was six, and then we went back 
every uh, every uh, like weekend, every Sunday to be with my grandmother. But I grew up in Central Jersey mostly. But are you saying haunted like haunted house? No, no, like like uh, like favorite like bars or like any food spots that you go well, to. You know, L and B Spumoni Gardens is the best. You know. Yeah. Go there, of course. And uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I I um. I don't know, man. I just, you know, I, my, my, my grandmother lived in Prospect Park, and my nana on my mother's side lived on 18th Avenue, um, oh, wow. 86th Street over there. So, like, I just love those neighborhoods, you know. I, um, it's sad because a lot of Brooklyn doesn't even look the same anymore, you know. Uh, that's, a, that's the same thing with Manhattan, man. When I left Manhattan, it's like everything is just like gentrification. So, like, you know, places that were mom and pop shops are like Starbucks now. So, it's like everything changes now in the city. I try to support the little guy. I mean, you see me with a Starbucks cup in my hand too often because <laughs> it's easy yeah. to do that. But when I when I see those other places, I come in and try to buy something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, especially like the small, because you know everything is being monopolized, and then like all the little small mom and pop shops are like going away, or like you'll have certain barbers who've been there for years and they're closing shop because like you know the big um, conglomerates are moving in so like it kind of sucks that's the thing i miss about like you know the small areas in the city you know no it does you know because you know i'm a neighborhood first guy like yeah even when i went to chicago last week like i found two or three spots that i could see myself really you know you know uh supporting daily and uh, and so I, I always like to set up shop wherever I go, like and try to find the local stuff, you know. Yeah. Support. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we're all trying. I know. How was your trip to Chicago? And um, I know we talked a little bit. We talked. We talked a little bit about it before we started recording. But um, how was your experience there? And um, how's it? Do you think you'll make it home for a little while? Like, what do you think about Chicago? Well, I fell in love with Chicago, man. It was. It was. I had never been there, and I know it's crazy, but <laughs> yeah. I'd never been there. And, and, like, it has this beautiful, like, New York, you know, nothing is New York, so you can't compare it. Yeah. But it had this really beautiful city vibe, but it was like a smaller, more neighborhood personal feel to this city vibe. I just thought it was great, and I can't wait to see what, what Chicago has to offer. And uh, I had a wonderful time, and, and I'm looking forward to, you know, I went to a Cub game. That was fun. Yeah. I wore a T-shirt. A lot of people sent me angry uh, <laughs> uh, messages because I'm a Yankee fan. But yeah. clubs are in the National League. They're they're no threat to us. And so um, I think it's okay to have a little crush on the Cubs. You know. Yeah. You definitely. So that's what's happening. But I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I said I said too bad because I said you definitely got to make a trip to Miller Park too, man, because it's close. You definitely got to. You know, oh, yeah. that would have been that would have been real good, yeah. Um, with um um Letty Bruce, um, what are what is your expectations for Chicago? Like, you you expect a big turnout for the Chicago crowd? Yeah, you know, Lenny was arrested in Chicago in 1962, and he was convicted of obscenity. And in '64, the Illinois Supreme Court they released him and they let him off the hook. And so Lenny has a big history with Chicago and in the current state of our country, it's, we're in such a PC world now. Yeah. And Lenny was not, um, you know, he held a mirror up to society and, and, uh, I feel really strongly that like, if everyone is listening and, 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 you know, a lot, what I'm learning is, is a lot of people still need Lenny's voice. Mm-hmm. 
and a lot of people are threatened by Lenny's voice still today. So it'll be interesting. I'm sure hope that people embrace the show and understand that he was it was an important time in history. He was an important person, and he's still very much relevant. You know, we're still fighting free speech and all those things that uh, you know Lenny would maybe be embarrassed that they're still happening, but. I hope Chicago embraces the show. I'm certainly going to give them my best and leave it all on stage for them. So. Yeah. Um, speaking of a PC culture that we live in now, like shows like, I don't know if you recently saw the Netflix Dave Chappelle show, which is so brilliant. And, you know, there's things that you could say and you can't say nowadays. And if you see movies and, and films from the genre of the 80s or the 70s to the genre now, everything is so different, man. Um, how do you feel that the culture is as a society now, like, you know, with everything that's going on with presidencies and, and things you could say, things you can't say? Like, do you feel we live in a creative world now or you feel do you feel stifled in a way that everything has to be neutered of what you say um you know i can't be playing lenny bruce and act like i don't feel stifled because <laughs> yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense you know i saw the Chappelle netflix thing and i um and there were a couple of things he said that i went holy man holy crap <laughs> like there were a few things that i was a little shocked by yeah but but I think he has a right to say them if that's what he believes. And so, you know, I think we are definitely in a PC culture. And I think a lot of comedians won't even take the stage at this point. True. And it's kind of sad because I think theater and comedy has the power to educate and heal people and situations. And I think it's a learning. It's definitely a learning tool. And I feel like a lot of people are so quick to put the kibosh on things now that they're not even willing to have the hard conversation. And, and, and so I wish that people would just take a deep breath and, and listen to each other uh, authentically and not just shut it down, you know. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, Chappelle is uh, was an interesting headline. Two weeks ago, maybe, in the Chicago Tribune, which I thought was serendipitous for me, and it said something like, the headline was, uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, well, yeah, I'm going to pull it up real quick because I have it right here. Sure. Chappelle. Here it is, uh, Chappelle. Here it is, David Chappelle's, uh, here it is. Here's the headline. It was Chicago Tribune, and it came out on September 3rd, and it said, Dave Chappelle pushes the same boundaries that once got Lenny Bruce arrested. Oh, wow. That was the, that was the headline. Oh, man. And so I thought, like, wow, Dave Chappelle, and now they mention Lenny. So Lenny, the fact that the Chicago Tribune saw it fit to mention Lenny in Dave's headline, I thought, well, that's really serendipitous for us, you know, for our show. Yeah, it, it, so. it, yeah. It, it, it's crazy how, like... You know, like, you know, I, like, I, I'm a person who loves freedom of speech. Say what you want. If it's good, bad, or indifferent, we all should have the right to say it. But, like you said, we live in a culture now where some things you just can't say. And if you, and if you say something in private and somebody records it and puts it out there, you're in trouble for it, for giving your own personal opinion. So it's, 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 it's kind of a, it's a weird culture we're in now compared to back in the days. It's like, it's so different, man. Well, you know, yeah, and Lenny would, Lenny had this whole bit about what's good taste, what's bad taste, like, and who decides it's subjective, you know, and that's still the truth. I mean, like, how can you decide one thing is good for you and something else is bad when maybe somebody feels the opposite? So it's, it's a hard time we're living in. I think uh, there's a lot of good going on in the world right now, too, mm -hmm. and so 
but I'm just worried that some comedians are going to give up. Yeah. Because they don't feel safe on stage. Yeah, like, you know, like the Bill Burrs of the world. And, you know, there, there's a lot of people who have done things and let's just say they've done things that weren't correct, but then it's hard for them to make a comeback because you're still judged on your past, the, the you know, past discrepancies. So it's, it's, it's really, it's the culture is kind of hard to forgive people who've done things in the past and try to move forward. But like everybody holds on to the past. So it's, it, it, you know, no, society is weird that way. Don't you think? I guess I guess it's more of a case by case basis. Yeah. And that, well, I guess I wish it would be more more of a case by case basis, and not throw everyone in the same pot. You know. Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, you know, we 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 all need forgiveness in life, and everybody needs to be forgiven and to forgive, so we could all move forward. We've all made mistakes, but but some things are obviously heinous and should not maybe get a second. I don't know. That's not up to me to decide. Mm-hmm. But you know, social media has created a world where uh, everyone is judge and jury, you know, jury, you know, everyone. Yeah. And so I think the very thing that social media was meant for has blown up in our face. And I think in a lot of ways it has done this world a very big disservice. Yeah. Like, uh, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the James Gunn tweets from the past, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it, it comes back from something he said 10 years ago. They took him out of Marvel for a movie then, you know, I guess they waited to dies down and brought him back so he could direct Guardian. So it's like, you know, things that, you know, you're not the same person you was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's things that you might have thought of or you might have said that at that time you, you meant it. But then at a different time in reflection, you're a different person back then. So it's like, you know, things that, you know, could be misconstrued, you know, from what you said back then till now. So it's just so different. Uh-huh. It's a very sensitive time, and I can't speak to what you just mentioned because I didn't see them or hear anything. But you know, it's a, it's just a different time, and and it's a fine line. And you know, again, all I say is, who doesn't need forgiveness in this world? That's all I say. Exactly, um, Ronnie. Um, who's your inspiration for? Like, do you had any inspiration in the film, the stage area that you you aspire to be like, or um, is there any person you looked up to? Oh, sure. I was influenced by many people, you know, but, uh, but I definitely, um, I didn't aspire to be like anyone. Okay. I wanted to be authentic, you know, even though I couldn't probably have put that in the words back then, but, but, you know, I grew up like every other Italian American. I loved De Niro. I loved Pacino. I loved all those guys. I love John Totoro. You know, Joe Montaigne, who's my director of this play is one of my biggest influences and I loved his career and as an Italian-American actor, how he's been able to navigate through that and what that looks like. And Joe's a big mentor to me and, and one of my dearest friends, quite honestly, and I love him. And uh, So I've been very blessed, you know. Um, I, I'm inspired by most things every minute, you know. Everything inspires me around. My theater company inspires me. The, the new actor who walks through the door for the first time who wants to take a shot inspires me. It all inspires me. And uh, I just want to uh, I want to do the best I can and uh, hopefully inspire others as well. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, what is R- R- Ronnie Marmo's top three movies of all time? Oh, that's tough. You know, uh, it kind of depends on my mood. You know, <laughs> I, it's really, I mean, if I don't mention The Godfather, I have to mention <laughs> you know? Yeah. People kill me. So there's the God, you know, the Godfather. I love, um, really, I, it's hard 
my, my probably my favorite movie ever was the Pope of Greenwich Village. It was my, I love that film. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. Yeah. No, it's crazy. It, it actually made you want to be an actor. I between Mickey Rourke and Eric Roberts, and I was like 11, and I was like, I can do that. I can do that. You know. Wow. Um. I love that. I loved uh, Life is Beautiful. Uh, Roberto Benigni. Wow. I, love, um, yes. I thought Braveheart was a great film. I uh, I love, you know, and the thing is for me too, is I love, um, it's hard for me to say my favorite. I'm so influenced by so many things that I really get uh, taken by certain films at certain times in my life when like I need to see them for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, I'm an emotional person and a lot of times the films and the music I listen to at that particular time kind of go hand in hand to where I'm at in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, is there a particular film that describes you to a T? Is there a film that relates to you that, that is you? Uh, well, I would have to say, again, I have pieces of so many films that I feel like are live within me. Okay. There's so many films that I go, oh, that's, that's me. That reminds me of me. But I wrote a film called West of Brooklyn. Oh, okay. You can get this film. Joe Montaigne was in it and Baltazar Getty, a lot of great people. You can get the film on uh, Amazon probably for 50 cents at this point, which is sad. But um, <laughs> I wrote the film and I'm very proud of it. It was the first film I learned how to be a filmmaker on. So there are things I see and I want to I jump off a bridge when I watch it. But I would say it's probably 80% realistic to my life. And the other 20% is kind of how I see certain things, whether it actually happened or not. So they were influenced by my life or, or the people around me. So I'd say West of Brooklyn is pretty good barometer of at least who I was as an artist then. Mm. And so if you get a chance, check it out. Oh, that's very fascinating. Okay, West of Brooklyn. You said it was on Amazon Prime, right? I think so. I don't know where you can get it. Just Google it. You'll find it. You could probably buy it for 12 cents. You know? <laughs> All right, Roddy. It sucks. It's worth at least a quarter. You know what I mean? <laughs> I hear you. Um, um, random question for you. If, if a role requires you to shave all that hair off, would you? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I think if Scorsese called, yes. <laughs> but, I, but I think less than Scorsese, I don't know because... Here's the truth, like, I'm not going to say my hair defines me, that would be so stupid, but boy, I, I kind of like having this big crazy hair, so I, I would be nervous. It would have to be the right part, and it would have to be um, something, it, it, I wouldn't do it for $100 a day in an indie, it would have to be something really important that I feel like is going to take everything to another level. So for Scorsese, you would do it? <laughs> I'll be naked before I shave my head. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, you already do that in Lenny Bruce, right? <laughs> the first moment of the play, the lights come up and I'm dead naked on the toilet. <laughs> man, um, you like, like, how do you do that, man? It's just like you put just like you said, you put yourself in a mindset, right, just to do that. You know. Um. Well, you know, I'll be honest. At the beginning, I was scared to death. Yeah. And I was like. Man, I can't do it. And Joe Montaigne's like, who cares? Just show your ass. Nobody cares. You know? and, then, uh, and, then, and then now it's like, it's liberating. I just don't care. I literally just don't care. I feel vulnerable. It's scary a little bit. But I, but I always say, like, I, I, I don't want to get too, like, hippy-dippy on you. But the truth is, I feel like if the audience sees me like that, I want them to understand right from that moment that this is going to be an experience, and if I'm willing to be that vulnerable with them, I hope they can be with me as well. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I uh, literally want them to go like, I'm, I'm going to be that open and vulnerable with him as well. We're going to have this experience together. Like, in other words, lights come up and, I, and I'm basically saying to the audience, I'm doing my part. Now, what about you? You know? Yeah. I got you. Ronnie, um, what's your favorite quote? Do you have a particular quote that you that that inspires you? Like a particular quote that you like? Yeah, my favorite quote in in the world, which I always you know, I feel really strong about, is uh nothing great can happen without enthusiasm. Mm. Nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm. Ralph Waldo Emerson is nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm. Uh-huh. And I believe that you have to have an enthusiasm for life. You have to have a zest for life. You have to, you have to uh, just be enthusiastic for what you're doing, and then great things to follow after that. And so that that seems to be the quote that uh, that moves me forward. And I keep reminding myself: just have enthusiasm, and the rest will fall into place. You know? Yeah, I gotcha. And uh, my final question for you, Ronnie, is: What would the Ronnie of today tell the Ronnie of yesterday? Um, drink a lot of water and walk slow. <laughs> drink a lot of water and walk slow? And walk slow. Oh, what's the meaning behind that? My advice, man. It's like no matter what you're going through in life, drink a lot of water and walk slow. Right. So basically, like, take your time with everything? Like, that's what you told you? Take your time and this, and this too shall pass. In other words, walk slow and let it pass. Gotcha. You know, it's it's all going to be okay. Drink, stay hydrated, and walk slow, and everything's going to be okay. Gotcha. Drink a lot of water. Well, there's a quote for you. You can put that on a a coffee cup. I don't know. (laughs) So, so Ronnie, so the Lenny Bruce one-man show, when is it coming to Chicago? Tell the people. Lenny Bruce uh, opening at the Royal George in Chicago, directly across the street from Steppenwolf, which I'm I'm total uh, theater geek over. I'm excited. We uh, we uh, we preview on October 23rd. We open October 25th. If you go to LennyBruceOnStage.com, it's all there. LennyBruceOnStage.com, and uh, we're so excited. I hope you can come out and support the show. Yeah, thank you, um, ladies and gentlemen. Ronnie Marmorough, check him out. If you want to, if the ladies want to see him in the nude, you definitely have to go see Lenny Bruce. If you know you want to see a good, um, thrilling play. Ronnie Marmo is going to do it for you. Ronnie, man, thank you for being, you know, finally, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a while. It's been a couple of years, man, but thank you, man, for coming on, and I appreciate you. We literally have been trying to do this for a couple of years. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, we, we did it, and I promise there won't be a couple of years for the next one. We'll figure it out sooner uh, than that. Definitely. Thank you thank so much. Thank you, man. Thank you. thank you for your support. I appreciate it. Not a problem. I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks.